Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Something About Sports right here on Movement Radio. I'm Talon Williams. I'm Chip Hazard. I'm Roger Sierra. And over the next couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be giving you the 20 biggest scandals in sports history. Uh, this is part one of a four-part series that we are going to be doing. And uh, shout out to Bleacher Report uh, for the article that we have in front of us today. Now, call it a blessing, call it a curse, but star athletes are put on a pedestal. They are regarded as above humans. Their accomplishments are expected and their mistakes are scrutinized to no extent. A year and a half, well, as of this as of this uh, uh, article, which was September 27, 2011, uh, as of 2010, rather, perhaps the athlete who was put on the most highest of the pedestal, Tiger Woods, had a fall from grace of epic magnitude. When it comes, when it came out about several affairs, he received more straight-up headlines than most in the newspapers than the days following 9/11, which I don't know how true that is, but that's this article. Although it may have not been, it may be one of the biggest scandals. It is evident that not only one of the biggest scandals in sports history, a scandal in sports can be huge, and these are magnified another ten times because the athlete's place in society. And because of the fact that, to many of us, they are considered role models. Thus, we thought it would be amusing to look over 20 of the biggest scandals in sports history. So let's start off with the top. Which one do you guys want to take the first one? Uh, I will. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, that way you can have the next one since, uh, just because of what it is. Uh. <laughs> Uh, that was nice of him. <laughs> well, you'll yeah, because I, I know the next one. I know what the next one after one is. Like, go ahead, Chip. yeah. Uh, like how y'all looking ahead. Hey, don't worry about it. Mind your business. <laughs> we talked about this whole damn thing before we even start recording. All right, go ahead. Chip. I didn't read it though. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Chip. Right, first up, we're going to talk about the uh, the Black Sox scandal. Uh, so this baseball scandal took place during the nineteen nineteen. World Series, you know, Talon was alive back then. Oh, yeah, uh, let me tell you. Where the White Sox were playing against the Cincinnati Reds. Hold on a second. Did you yep. say Talon was alive back then? I did. You're older than <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all in good fun. Go ahead. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, so the, the, this scandal took place during the 1919 World Series where the White Sox were playing against the uh, Cincinnati Reds. It featured eight players banned for life from MLB for purposely losing games during the World Series with the benefit of large amounts of money. So Arnold Chick uh, Gandil orchestrated the throwing of the games and it was he who convinced his teammates to take the money as well. This scandal is the story behind the fantastic movie Eight Men Out and is still a common topic when discussing the right of shoeless Joe Jackson, a player on the White Sox at the time whose involvement has been widely disputed to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, So, uh, despite acquittals in the public trial in 1921, Judge Landis permanently banned all eight men from pro baseball. 
the punishment yeah. was eventually defined by the Baseball Hall of Fame to include banishment from consideration for the Hall. Despite requests for reinstatement in the decades that follow, particularly in the case of Shoeless Joe Jackson, the ban remained. Um, now, when we talk about Joe Jackson, uh, the extent of Joe's part in the conspiracy remains controversial. Wait, Joe Jackson like Michael Jackson's dad? No, no, Shoeless no, Joe Jackson. I know, I know. Yeah, this, this same name. Say it ain't guys, so Joe. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe uh, this is this is a a, a white guy, so <laughs> uh, so the extent of Joe Jackson's part in the conspiracy remains controversial. Jackson maintained that he was innocent. He had a series leading .375 batting average, including the series only home run. He threw out five base runners and handled thirty chances in the outfield with zero errors. In general, players perform worse in games their teams lose. However, Jackson batted worst in the five games that the White Sox lost with a batting average of .286 in those games. This was still an above batting average. The National and American League hit a combined .263 in 1919. Jackson hit a .351 for the entire season, fourth best in the major leagues. Um, and it's the third best average in history, surpassed only by Ty Cobb and Rogers, uh, Rogers Hornsby. Uh, three of his six RBIs came in the losses, including the aforementioned home run and a double in game eight when the Reds had a large lead and the series was all but over. Still in that game, a long foul ball was called at the fence with the runners on second and third, depriving Jackson of a chance to drive in the runs. One player in particular has been subjected to scrutiny. In the fifth inning of Game 4 with a Cincinnati player on second, Jackson fielded a single hit to left field and threw home, which was cut off by Chicote. Uh, Gandil, another leader of the fix, later admitted to yelling at Chicote to intercept the ball. The run scored and the Sox lost the game 2-0. Chicote, whose guilt is undisputed, made two errors in that fifth inning alone. Years later, all of the implicated players said that Jackson was never present at any of the meetings they had with the gamblers. Uh, Williams, Jackson's roommate, later said that they only brought up Jackson in hopes of giving them more credibility with the gamblers. And when he says Williams, he means Claude Lefty Williams, who was uh, the pitcher who threw a 6.63 ERA for the series. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus. correct. Uh, so now after being banned, Riceberg and several other members of the Black Sox tried to organize a three-state barnstorming tour. However, they were forced to cancel those plans after Landis let it be known that anyone who played with or against them would also be banned from baseball for life. Uh, then they announced plans to play a regular exhibition game every Sunday in Chicago, but the Chicago City Council threatened to cancel the license of any ballpark that hosted them. With seven of their best players permanently sidelined, the White Sox crashed into seventh place in 1921 and would not be a factor in a pennant race again until 1936, five years after the Kamitz, after Kamitsky's death. 
and that would they would not win another American League championship until 1959, a then record 40 year gap, nor another World Series until 2005, which I accurately predicted. Uh, prompting keep on some, bringing the shit up. Yes, I am. <laughs> prompting some to comment about a curse of the Black Sox. Why is baseball so superstitious? I don't know. Well, I mean, the curse of the Black Sox. You had the curse of the Bambido. Uh, uh, what was the what was the what was the Cubs curse called? Uh, the Cubs curse. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it was the Black Cat or something. I had nothing to do with that. Steve <laughs> Bartman, something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> uh, so, so what are you guys thinking about the the, the Black Sox scandal here? I mean, I mean, you two were the ones alive for it. So, anytime, anytime you fix games, it's like you. (laughs) Fuck you. Anytime (laughs) you fix games, (laughs) I'm trying to stay on track. He's distracting me. Uh, Anytime you fix games, you know, um, you do. it, It does take away the integrity of the game, to which. You know, like people who buy tickets and stuff like that, they want to know that they're actually watching a competition. You know what I mean? And if it's like, oh, well, if these guys are obviously throwing the game, you know, like, I mean, it definitely puts a black eye on the sport in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's baseball and baseball is super rooted in like stern tradition and trying to be the the always above everything all right you know sport so i mean uh huh all the all the unwritten rules and things all the stupid rules that who gives a fuck yeah the unwritten rules right (laughs) don't flip your bat uh what was it was the other one Uh, don't hurt my feelings oh How dare you flip your bat on a home run on the walk off single? Shut up! Shut up! I'm grand. <laughs> like I, I, I really couldn't be a baseball player because I'd be a true villain. I'd flip every single bat, even if I didn't hit. Like if I had a double, I'm flipping that bat. Right. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is that baseball, baseball for so many years was known as America's pastime, and that's not the case anymore. I mean, I can't remember it's not what for a while. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I I can't remember what, which website I seen it on. It may have been uh, ESPN or FS1 or something like that. Um, but they said like they asked people in the range of like 1835. So I guess that target audience. What sport do you watch the most? Uh, and I think it was like either 62 or 61 percent in that area said football, and then like the other 20 percent said basketball. And baseball only had like a nine percent, you know, you know, I guess approval rating or whatever. And it's like, damn, only I mean, because if you asked that question like fifty years ago, baseball would have probably been the runaway, you know, leader in that case, you know. But people don't watch baseball no more because it's like I like I love going to the games. I can't watch them on TV, you know. Like I will if it's like the Braves and like a big game or something like that, but. I, I like going to the game because it's more fun to go to the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it is more. I mean, sport events in general, like, that's just the thing because they are more entertaining when you are there. But, I mean, baseball is just so long and drawn out. So, I mean, watching on TV is just not 
the most fun thing. I mean, even for me, and I like baseball, so. Right. Yeah. I uh, think playoff baseball is probably better than just a normal regular season game. Like, I mean, if your team, if, if you know, if your team is like, I don't know, 100 and I'm not, I'm not, that's not good. Good example. If your team's like 81 and like 80 or something like that, it's like, okay, this team's a mediocre team at best. Fuck it. You know, like, I don't even care. Who, if, even if I'm a fan of the team, I don't fucking care. But if your team is, like, in the playoffs, it's like game seven of the World Series or something, you, it's edge of your CTV, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, the best thing with baseball is, like, I think it's because of how, I guess slow would be the best word to describe it. There it is. Um... I mean, because there are some games that are really entertaining. Like, I'll switch over if something's going on. Like, no hitters all day, every day. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, It just depends, I guess, really, on, like, the situation. Uh, perfect games, no hitters. Uh, like, close night, like, close night inning uh, stretches. But, like, do I really want to sit there and watch nine innings of baseball and nothing happen? Like, people always get, like, here in the U.S., people always give crap to soccer. Like, oh, how can you watch a 90-minute game and the score be 0-0? How can y'all watch a three-hour game and it end 0-0? Well, it can't end 0-0. It they can't end 0-0. I know. Innings. Yeah, uh, by 1-0. Uh, right. Uh, Didn't get some <clears throat> crap off, like, single walk-off. That's just, oh, yay. <laughs> right. I don't know. Let everybody do all the steroids. That's what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> I mean that shit doesn't bother me. Um, it don't bother me either. No, uh, I want my athletes at the maximum level. Well, here's the thing, and I've said this for years. When it comes to baseball, taking steroids does nothing for your hand-eye coordination. You still have to hit the ball, right? Yeah, it just gives you, it just gives you power when you do hit the ball. That's all it really does. Right. It doesn't make you hit more often. It just it makes you hit it harder. Yeah, that's that's a complete different thing. It, I guess, there's a slight advantage of being able to hit it harder. But if you're a terrible hitter and you're taking steroids, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you all but, jacked up for nothing, right? But then I'm uh, thinking, I'm trying to think of like what players did do uh, steroid that wasn't good i guess right i mean there's always there's always guys that are able to hit that want to just hit more i guess or just I obviously mean, get more home runs it could have been the brett hart factor took steroids and didn't work out yeah, yeah which is stupid <laughs> at that rate you what what, what what is you doing you're just maintaining at that point i guess maintain yeah i mean yeah i guess you maintain yeah i guess you'll burn hell? a little bit more fat that way because steroids are fat soluble, so they burn fat more. But right. Um, <laughs> but yet again, like I said, what's the point? <laughs> there, there is no point. That's the thing. You spending um, this kind of you spending money on these drugs for nothing. For nothing. Yep. It ain't making you look better. It ain't making you wrestle better. Nothing. Uh, but when Talon was talking about baseball being America's pastime, uh, I actually just looked it up and. Um, it says that American football is now the most popular spectator sport to watch in the United States. Now, I only look for United States. Uh, well, that's because cricket now makes the world. Right. 
uh so Which it goes the world beat soccer right it's soccer cricket and rugby i think it's what the top three sports in the world are i think so i can look that up if we if we want to but uh in in the united states it goes uh american football baseball basketball hockey then soccer uh yeah so baseball went back to number one i guess no or number two i guess number two yeah number two uh and then um it goes in in terms of profitable sports it goes the nfl major league baseball nba nhl and mls in that order i can see that the mls mls is picking up steam now but right but there's it's still soccer in america (laughs) exactly it's called football everywhere else (laughs) because you actually use your foot right right who would have thunk it (laughs) it? (laughs) uh and then let's see worldwide uh it's soccer yeah, it should be soccer, cricket, and rugby. Uh, let's see. It goes uh, top 10 from 10 to 1. 10 is NFL. 9 is basketball. Uh, they're coupling all forms of basketball into that. Uh, 8 is golf. 7 is really? baseball. Yep. 6 is table tennis. Yeah, ping pong's. I mean, because the Asian countries played a lot. Yeah. 5 is volleyball. Oh, Four, yes, I love Four is tennis, three is field hockey, two is cricket, and one is soccer. Damn, rugby don't fill up the map. Yep. Uh, According to this article from pledgesports.org, which was written uh, like three days ago, uh, soccer has a estimation of 3.5 billion fans with cricket having two and a half billion followed by field hockey at 2.2 billion tennis at 1 billion volleyball 900 million table tennis 850 million i like watching table tennis i'm not even gonna lie or ping pong whatever you want to call it uh because them dudes uh, and the girls they get super intense, and there ain't no way in hell I could hit the that little ball as quickly and hard as they can, and still like rebound to hit it back. <laughs> oh yeah, their accuracy was that thing is incredible. Yeah, wasn't there a video that was like one set was like eleven minutes long or something like that? I mean, uh, good, probably. Yeah, top tier. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It was an so. Olympic. It was in the Olympics, I think. I wouldn't doubt it. I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2012, but I mean, it was something. I have to look it up and find it. Yep. But anyway, so let's move on to the next one. Roger, you want to take this one? I guess it's shit. Uh, not, yeah, Chip said I should probably take this one. I think you should. <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so number two is uh, Nelson Paquette Jr. Um, his crash in F1, also known as Crashgate. Um, but Nelson Piquet Jr.'s crash didn't become scandalous until after a while uh, after it occurred. Um, gosh, what's in the race in 2008? Piquet uh, had somewhat of a large crash with an opponent. It didn't seem like a big deal because in Formula One, where Nelson raced, 
uh, crashes were anything but a rarity. Well, I guess in the 2000s, because nowadays it's rare. Yeah, nowadays it's really rare unless your name is um, Nikita Mazepin. No, uh, no, no, not, uh, not Mazepin. Uh, La- not, Lakita. La- 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 Latifa. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Latifa. <laughs> he crashes about every friggin' every race. race. Well, hell, what y'all, talk, what y'all talking uh, about? A hotel? Yep. What? I heard Lakita. Yeah, yeah. No. Lakita. <laughs> yeah, but Nicol- no, I mean, Nicholas Latifa. Either that or your freaking fuel line melts in from the inside out. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just ask Pierre Gasly and uh, uh, Max Verstappen <laughs> and Sergio Perez too. Mm-hmm. Or was his his was, was a battery unit, wasn't it? Yeah, the first uh, the first race was a battery unit. Yeah. No, no, it was the the fuel the fuel pump because uh, Gasly, oh, right. Gasly, Perez, and Verstappen. Gasly's was the only one that caught on fire, but Verstappen and Perez, their fuel pump went out. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go on back to the two thousand eight one. Yeah. Um, sorry. I got you. Um. After uh, a while later, afterwards, uh, Nelson pulled out of his team, uh, Renault, which is now Alpine. Um, yeah. And allegations surfaced that the crash was on purpose, solely for the purpose to get Fernando Alonso a victory in the race, <sighs> which is so dangerous to do. Um, Nelson came out and spoke uh, spoke to the FIA, which is the uh, governing body of uh, Formula One racing, and claimed that indeed he had been asked by his coach to stage the crash. The case was intense for a while, with lots of uh, charges from the team against Piquet and vice versa. Since then, though, it was uh, simmered down, and now Nelson is a certified NASCAR racer. But my thing is, they record the audio from the, uh, I guess, the, man- the the Team Central and racers. So wouldn't they have recording of them saying, hey, go ahead and crash? Unless uh, he spoke about it beforehand, it's like, hey, it, Fernando yeah. gets ahead, crash into somebody, like, <laughs> like, how do you even like, cra- like, how do you like plan out a crash? Like, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. But, um, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy, uh, because a, a little bit of the background, uh, so at that point, Renault had only been in F1 for eight years. Um, and now they're not and, in it at all, technically. Do what? And now they're not in it at all, technically. No, technically they're not. They're just uh, engine builders. Right. Uh, so, uh, th- this happened at the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix, which was the 15th race of that season. Uh, and on the race weekend, despite Alonso being close to the top in practice, Renault had a poor qualifying session and started well down the grid with Fernando, uh, with Alonso starting at 15th and Piquet uh, starting right alongside him at 16th. Uh, Alonso was eliminated during qualifying because of mechanical failure. During the warm-up lap, uh, Piquet spun at the exact corner where he would later crash out, but was in this instance able to continue. After the race started, Alonso was the first driver to make a routine pit stop for fuel and tires. So this was back when they still fueled up. 
which is yeah which uh, uh, it's funny because a video actually popped up on my youtube today that talked about the difference the fueling makes this like saves less than like it saves like 0.3 seconds so it's like something minuscule that they really changed right uh so uh three laps later piquette hit the circuit wall at turn 17 one of the turns on the circuit which did not have a crane nearby necessitating the deployment of a safety car now in 2008 safety car regulations meant that the pit lane was closed until all cars had been bunched up behind the safety car hence the advantage of the lead cars would be eliminated before they were able to pit and after they did pit they would re-enter the race at the back of the field which is so different than it is now Mm -hmm. Uh, because now safety car comes out everybody's diving into the pits to get that free pit stop unless they close off the lane for some stupid reason yeah screw over somebody's chance to pit for several laps yeah um which is still a stupid like come on man come on can't catch no breaks man (laughs) catch no breaks no breaks no breaks for for Sir Lewis Hamilton. God, it's like they they literally trying to make sure this man don't win no more. Yep. Um. So uh, Alonso uh, had pitted just before the safety car was introduced. Therefore, he gained a significant advantage. Under previous regulations, the pit lane remained open during the safety car incidents, and the lead cars would quickly pit before their lead was eliminated and re-enter the race with less loss of track position which is how they do it now so most of the leading cars ended up behind Alonso and also behind some slower drivers who proved difficult to pass uh, on the narrow circuit which Singapore is a pretty narrow circuit it is, I, it's one of the races I hate the most actually, damn it they're so, it's such a hazardous race in my opinion yeah um so those ahead of Alonso were lighter on fuel, and whilst they were able to pull away, they still needed to make a pit stop. After gaining the lead in the final third of the race, Alonso went on to win. And uh, so this this ended up being uh, a first podium of the season and first victory as well. Uh, this This is a quote from Fernando Alonso, I'm sorry. Uh, a first podium of the season and first victory as well. I'm extremely happy. I cannot believe it right now. I think I need a couple of days to realize that we actually won the race this year. It seems impossible, although the season, uh, all through the season, to be close to the top guys. And here suddenly we have been competitive from Friday. Obviously, we started at the back and the first safety car helped me out a lot and I was able to win the race. Uh so no action was initially taken over the crash. Piquet Jr. initially characterized the crash as a simple mistake. In the post-race press release from Renault, the team described Alonso's performance as a brilliant tactical drive, while both both Briatore and Simons attributed the safety car use as a case of good luck. Following the race, freelance Formula One journalist Joe Saward writing on grandprix.com stated that some cynics were questioning the incident but dismissed it with the opinion that one likes to believe that no team would ever be so desperate as to have a driver throw his car at a wall according to the brazilian 
television station uh, Ready Globo, Brazilian driver Felipe Massa, who finished the Singapore race in 13th, having been leading at the time of Piquet Jr.'s crash and eventually lost the 08 World Championship to Lewis Hamilton by one point. Mm-hmm. Yep. And people said he never, rec- uh, Alonso never really recovered from that. Yeah. Um, question, uh, Briator about the crash at the time. Although FIA president Max Mosley stated the sport could take no action based on speculation. Now, um, <clears throat> Fernando, yeah, um, Fernando ended up, uh, the 2018 season fifth in the driver's championship with only 61 points while Piquet Jr. finished in 12th with only 19 points. Uh, So on August 30th, 2009 reports about the Brazilian television show, uh, Rede Globo stated that Piquet Jr. was ordered to crash during the Singapore race, uh, formula one's governing body, the FIA or Federation international, the automobile immediately announced that it was investigating alleged incidents at a previous F1 event. And it was widely reported that the race in question was the 08 Singapore race. And on September 4th, following the investigation by FIA, Renault F1 were formally accused of interfering with the outcome of the 08 Singapore race and conspiring with Paquette Jr. Uh, and on September 10th, Piquet Jr. made the second of two official statements to the FIA. On the same day, a transcript of Piquet's first statement to the FIA made at the headquarters in Paris was published by F1SA.com. Uh, in response to questions over its authenticity, the FIA president, Max Mosley, stated, I haven't seen anything which I believe to be a forgery. In the transcript, Piquet states that he was asked by Briator and Simons to crash his car at a specific corner. Alonso denied knowing any of the plan to ask Piquet to crash, stating, I cannot imagine these things, these situations. It's something that never entered my mind. Piquet questioned whether Alonso knew that a crash was planned, citing that in his place, he would have questioned Renault's senselessness. Alonso's racing strategy of starting with a low fuel load and making an early pit stop on the 12th lap. During the course of the investigation and before WSMC hearing, Alonso was absolved of any blame by the FIA. And on September 11th, Max Mosley confirmed that Piquet would face no action after making his two statements, even in the case, even if the case was found in favor of Renault. Hmm. Okay. Um, as yep. the novice Formula One guy here, I have some questions. Okay. Hit us. Okay, so, what'd you say? Hit us. Hit us with your questions. Okay. okay. Okay, so you're going down a dangerous path, though. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not going down a dangerous path. Uh, okay, I'll withhold then. Go ahead. No, 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 no you're good. I said you're, you're not going one. Uh, okay, so Paquette uh-huh. supposedly was ordered by uh, his team manager, his team manager, mm-hmm. to crash at a certain corner 
so that one of his teammates could win the race? Yes. Yes. Okay. Dumb question. Why couldn't Paquette, if he was in the lead, why couldn't he just got why couldn't he just win the race? Uh probably points. Yeah, uh Fernando Alonso had more points, so they were hoping to win the the championship that year by getting him more points. Okay. So Cuz um so, so the so in F1 you have uh the championship, there's two championships. There's the actual championship, the F1 championship and then there's the constructor cup. So the F1 championship is a solo one based on total points by an individual driver. Um okay. And then the Constructor Cup is the team, so they combine the team's points together, and then the, so you can win two trophies a year. Okay. So you so uh, if Alonso has more points at the time, you can sacrifice uh, Piquet chances at that time because first place gets the most points by what eight or ten or something like that. It's like ridiculous yeah. amount difference. Um, but okay, so again. <laughs> novice of the group here but mm-hmm. wouldn't that cause a little bit of jealousy amongst your teammates though if one guy says he wants to win this, the, the championship and another guy oh, on yeah. the team wants to win the championship so that's the thing with f1 that's why you should watch the uh that show uh drive to survive because it talks about literally like that's an issue it's like teammates fighting against each other because you so uh there's two there's the first seat and the second seat first seat always gets priority that's your your driver who you you're putting your future on Yep. Um, it's the one you're going to give the best upgrades to, even though you're supposed to have the same car for both drivers. You can literally tell when there's not. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, that's the one you're going to put more your effort into. That's who you're going to pay the most. That's who you're going to have your face as your team. So your second seat is usually your defender, the guy that tries to get as close as he can to his teammate and make sure nobody gets past him. Gotcha. Yep. And so that way he gets second, like, so that's the thing that when Chip and I talk about uh, how good Botas is and how stupid that Mercedes let him go is that the reason why Lewis Hamilton won seven championships is mainly because of Botas always defending for him. Yeah. Okay. He protected him. He used to give him slipstreams. Um, I mean, there's times where he had the fastest lap and they would literally tell him he had to slow down to give Lewis Hamilton points because I mean Hamilton would always have the faster car. Yep. So he always get points like early on and Boltas would always be from like two to six so he'd get a good amount of points but they won seven solo championships and seven team championships uh eight team championships because they won the, the oh, Constructors yeah, Cup yep. last year but they when, solo. but they didn't win the driver's championship yeah, yeah. uh and right now Ferrari is having that issue because uh Charles Leclerc is their like seat one He's their guy, but Carlos Sainz is just as good. Yeah, he's just as good, if not better, than Leclerc. And, like, he's pushing to be the top guy. And it's, like, you can see that they're happy for each other, but you can also see, like, Carlos is like, look, I I deserve the, the one seat. And I'm going to prove to you guys that that's what is going to happen. And you can lose your first seat if you don't perform. If you're not getting first or second, you will lose that position. They will focus on the other guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it, it happened with uh, 
Danny Rick. He was the first yep. seat and lost it to Max Verstappen. Yep, and then they brought. Then that's when Danny Rick left Red Bull after being there for nine, eight years, nine something years? like that. And then they brought in Pierre Gasly. Albon. Nope. No. Albon. Nope. It was Gasly first. Was it? Yep. And then Albon. Because yeah, I thought cause... Gasly was in the academy and was going to be up for Tory to begin with. Nope. He was in. He was in the academy. Uh, then he was driving for AlphaTauri, uh, and they called him up to the to the Red Bull team, and he only lasted like three or four races, and they sent him back to AlphaTauri to be the one seat there, uh, and called up Alex Albon. And Alex Albon dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. Cause, hey, and then they got hard. Sergio. Then they got Checo. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, who's probably the second best number two, in my opinion. It would go Botas and then him. Well, Botas is number one now. Well, he is now, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, F1 has a lot of elements. It is a team sport, but it's also individual at the exact same time. So it's Mm kind of weird. Okay. So, Well, I know you guys are going to be on that subject for about the next three hours. Unfortunately, we don't have that time. we got to keep on moving. The next one we're going to talk oh, yeah. about we could is... Talk, we could talk F1 all night. Right. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is Danny Amante. Now, a simple assistant coach at James Monroe High School, Danny Amante used to be the subject of much criticism. In 2001, he absolutely dominated the Little League World Series. He was out of their league. Unfortunately, this is literal. Amidst such speculation, it was finally revealed that Almonte was actually three years older than he should have been and claimed to be. Though this may not sound like much, it is still the biggest scandal in Little League Baseball history and may have cost him his career in Major League Baseball. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, I wasn't going to say that. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, so, uh, in 2000, Danny Alamante moved to the Bronx from the Dominican Republic, where he began playing Little League Baseball. His father, Felipe, who had moved to the U.S. six years earlier, had begun a youth baseball league in uh, Mocha that still bears his name. Uh, <clears throat> so, with his high leg kick and fastball that reached a top speed of 76 miles an hour, the equivalent for that distance of 102 mile per hour MLB fastball. The five foot eight Danny soon became a sensation. His imposing frame won him the nickname Little Unit, a nod to Randy the Big Unit Johnson. Uh he threw that a bird no- killer. Do what? The bird killer. Yeah, yeah. bird killer. Uh so uh Danny threw a no hitter in the 2001 Mid-Atlantic Regional Finals against State College, Pennsylvania, sending his team to the Little League World Series in South Wilmington, Pennsylvania. In a round-robin game, four days later, Alamonte threw the first perfect game in the Little League World Series since 1979 against uh, the team from uh, Popka, Florida. However, his team was defeated by the same Florida team in the U.S. Championship game. Uh... Alamante could not pitch in the championship game under Little League rules as he had pitched a complete game the day before. 
He finished the 0-1 tournament with 62 strikeouts out of 70 bat or 72 batters. So he only did he only struck out or he struck out all but 10 batters. Sorry, brain fart there. Yeah. Uh, giving up only three hits in three starts and only one unearned run. Alamante's team nicknamed the Baby Bombers because they played in the shadow of the Yankee Stadium was the feel-good story of the Little League World Series and they were honored before a New York Yankees game shortly after the series. They also received the key to the city from Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Fuck him. <laughs> Oh, Lord, here we go. <laughs> uh, now, Alamante's imposing appearance and command on the mound, as well as the velocity of his fastball, led to rumors that he was older than 12 years old, the age limit for Little League Baseball. A team from Staten Island hired a private investigator to look into the ages of the entire team. A similar... Of course. Uh, <laughs> you a hater. Like everybody, people from Boston, Staten Island, do you love anybody? The BX all day. All right. Uh, <laughs> now, a similar investigation was conducted by a team from uh, Pickenock Township in New Jersey, and neither turned up any evidence that the players were too old. Ronaldo Paulino, the league president, ad- adamantly insisted that Alamante had, in fact, been born in on April 7th, 1989, uh, Paulino was initially backed by Little League and Dominican officials who said the Baby Bombers had followed all proper procedures regarding age verification. Uh, now, as part, of Dominic, uh, as part of Dominican officials' investigation, Victor Romero, head of the National Public Records Office, interviewed the witnesses whose signature appeared on the 89 birth certificate. They both denied knowing Danny's parents, let alone signing the certificate. And on August 31st, Romero announced that Danny had in fact been born in 1987. As a result, Danny Alamonte was retroactively declared ineligible and the Baby Bombers had to forfeit all of their wins in tournament play. All of their records were removed from the books and the team was required to demonstrate compliance with all regulations before entering the 2002 tournament Felipe uh, Danny Alamonte's father was banned from Little League competition for life Paulino was also banned since Little League rules make the league president responsible for player eligibility Dominican prosecutors filed criminal charges against Felipe for falsifying a birth certificate Danny, who did not speak English at the time, apparently knew nothing about the falsified documents and was cleared of any wrongdoing. Little League President Stephen Keener said that Danny and his teammates had been used in a most contemptible and despicable way and that millions of Little Leaguers around the world were deceived. ESPN's Jim Capel called Felipe the worst stereotype of the Little League parents sprung to life. Danny's godmother later begged forgiveness, saying that we had to commit this little fraud to give Danny a chance to compete in a tournament as significant as the Little League World Series. Mm. <laughs> uh, it it, it mean, goes. 
hold on. It goes even deeper because at the same time, the New York City child welfare officials had discovered that Danny Alamonte had not been enrolled in school for the 2000-2001 year, which would be a violation of state law and grounds for placing him in foster care. Danny's Mm. registration listed him as attending public school number 70 in the Bronx. However, Dominican school officials said they had records that Danny had actually attended school in the Dominican Republic until June 15th. This would have made him ineligible for the Little League World Series, even if he had actually been 12 years old. Little League rules require a player to have appeared in at least half of his team's games by June 15th in order to be eligible for the all-star team that competes in the tournament. Danny then enrolled at public school 52 in Bronx in September. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, so what do you guys think about the, uh, the, the little league scandal here? Whole lot of fuckery. Um, Gotta give our kids a future. <laughs> I mean, golly, I mean, I mean, so he, he was born in 1987, so obviously he was just three years two, older. Two years old, right? Three, um, three, three, three. Yeah, three. Um, like I get it, you know, he's, you know, you want it to be a fair level playing field, and and I completely understand that, but. with all the lies and all the like, Hey, you know, he's really this and he's really that like, Hey, here's the birth certificate. Well, hold on. Did you falsify this? Like, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah, it, it just, it just seems wrong. What, what about you, Roger? What are you thinking? I mean, little league is, I mean, that is, I don't know. It's weird. Cause I mean, little league. Yeah. It's there's an age gap. I mean, an age limit, not an age gap. Because, I mean, obviously when you're freaking three years older and you're throwing 70-plus mile-per-hour ball, there's a huge difference um, than what the other kids are used to or able to do. But, I mean, hell, nowadays, these kids are pretty much the same anyway, so we got to question every kid we go through. Right? Right. But, I mean... got a damn nine-year-old throwing a 40... Like uh, like a damn 85-mile-an-hour slider. I know it's ridiculous, but no, like I get it. That yeah, he broke the like. It is little kids playing, uh, and you broke the age limit. Like that's my only issue with is the age limit. Uh, other than that, I mean, hey, they were just trying to give their kid, you know, a future, right? I mean, uh, Dominicans are good at pretty much baseball all the time. Like that's what the league is pretty much now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, pretty much yeah. Uh. Now, if you're a fan of Law and Order, there's an episode called Foul Play. Uh, it was <sighs> I don't know. It was in the last season of uh, it was in the twelfth season of Law and Order. Uh, so that that episode yeah. Foul Play was inspired by Danny Alamonte's story. Yeah, it was, yeah. The, the synopsis is the investigation into the death of a private investigator uncovers corrupt deceit and immigration fraud in a youth baseball league whose manager will go to any lengths to win. All right. 
episode two, episode uh, season twelve, episode twenty-one. So there y'all go. All right. Yeah. Um. I. I with this, like, it was completely like the father's fault because they said that the the kid Danny. He didn't even speak English at this time, so he didn't know what was going on. Like right. his his dad did all of this. So I mean, as a parent, I want to do what's best for my child, but at the same time, I don't want to like I would be pissed if somebody did that to my child, you know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh and he was exploited because I mean he literally yeah, had no idea. Right. I mean, he probably didn't know what the age limit was for uh, Little League. Exactly. And if he did, he couldn't tell anybody because he didn't speak English. Yeah. You know, when they're asking, how old are you? (laughs) Here's my paper. (laughs) Yeah. Here's the paper they told me to give you. I know it's weird, too, but the new Bad News Bears, or the more recent one, I guess, with Billy Bob Thornton, they did the exact same thing. They had a Dominican that was like fucking... 10 years older than them out there with a quote unquote birth certificate that said I am 12 with money in it right it's a good movie though yeah so alright moving on from little league fuckery to (laughs) (laughs) is that that like the Sandusky version uh it could be (laughs) Uh, we're going to talk about the Floyd Landis doping scandal. Uh, so in 2006, oh, Floyd Landis, an American cyclist, was racing in the Tour de France and was far behind in stage 16. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was a whole 10 minutes behind. Damn. Yep. Uh, yet, astonishingly, he came back unbelievably in the next round so in stage 17 uh and this is when the first speculation about the doping arose uh so uh doping and cycling weren't synonymous back then and it had rarely been the case that any sort of steroids had been used yet landis's urine samples came back three times the amount of testosterone that the that three times the amount of testosterone was in his system and it was an evident case of doping the scandal was already large yet it also uncovered a huge number of other cyclists who had used steroids of some sort of or some sort of performance enhancing drug furthermore floyd landis accused lance armstrong of doping a scandal a, we still see present today in court. Dry snitching, bitch. <laughs> the man lost a testicle. He ain't producing the amount of same amount of testosterone. Let him. Let him be. <laughs> man had cancer and lost a nut. Shit. <laughs> oh. You gotta fuck somebody else's game up because you got caught. Oh. Three times. God. Like a dumbass. Uh, so the only previous Tour de France winner to be disqualified at that time was the 1904 Tour winner, uh, Maurice Garwin. However, in the following years, 
Do what? 1904. Damn, that was such yep. a long time. Right? Uh, so, in the following years, Alberto Con- Condador and Lance Armstrong have had tour wins revoked. So, everybody doping. Yep. Yeah. Gotta get yeah. on the gas, bro. Yeah. I'm telling you, dude. <clears throat> yeah, so it was, it was uh, actually four days after the Tour de France that the accusations uh, to Landis came about and they um, had his urine tested and it came back positive. Uh, After his epic performance in Stage 17, Landis denied having doped and placed faith in a drug test using his backup sample. Um, Damn, this man's doping for real. (laughs) Right? So the uh, Phonex cycling team which he was a part of stated that he would be dismissed should the backup stamp sample also test positive guess what it did and tested positive (laughs) yep and landis was suspended from professional cycling and dismissed from his team landis's personal physician arnie baker later disclosed that his (laughs) test had found a te ratio arnie baker sounds like an old like 1975 mid card jobber, right? <laughs> Arnie Baker, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Arnie Baker later disclosed that Landis's test ratio came back at 12 to 1, which was far above the maximum allowed ratio of 4 to 1. Uh, and the uh, the test on Landis's stage 17A sample had been performed by the French government's anti-doping clinical laboratory, the National Laboratory for Doping Detection, or LNDD, uh, which was a division of the Ministry of Youth, Sports, and Social Life and accredited by the World Anti-Doping Agency. The B sample confirmed the A sample and also tested positive for an unnatural source of testosterone. Now, following the reported positive drug test on sample A Landis suggested that the results had been improperly released by the UCI and on August 9, 2006 the UCI president Pat McQuaid rejected the claim saying we acted correctly we informed the team uh, the rider and the federation that there had been an irregularity then we issued a press release saying that an unnamed rider had been found positive in the tour Landis's team published his name two days later. Uh, so, Landis wrote in a book titled Positively False, which contained his personal account of the case in which he maintained his innocence. However, in May of 2010, Landis confessed to doping and accused Lance Armstrong of doing the same thing, contradicting the entire premise of his book. Yep. <laughs> and then you also have the whiskey defense alternative theory and the egregious amount of testosterone. Um, yeah. Uh, the alternative theory is, is kind of interesting because there is evidence to suggest Landis's positive test was the result of one or several blood transfuses administered, administered to him during the course of that year's tour. 
This might explain why Landis was not flagged for testosterone in test results after earlier stages and only came up positive after the infamous stage 17 breakaway. After a collapse on stage 16 that saw him lose considerable time to his rivals, it is possible that Landis received a blood transfusion that was tainted with testosterone still in his body when the blood was initially drawn. This also might explain the variance in his TE ratio results from the tests during the tour and the abnormal and technically exculpatory confirmatory findings from the CIR test. So, Hmm. I didn't know I didn't know that uh, testosterone could be transfused through a blood transfusion. That's uh, news. I don't think it, it can, um, I guess if you're, if that's high of a level, yeah, it's going to transfuse, but I mean, it really just depends, I guess. Yeah. Right. Well, then, and it also talks about the whiskey defense and it says on August 1st, 20, uh, 20, uh, 2006, the New York times reported that according to the UCI source, Landis's urine test had revealed synthetic testosterone in his body. Uh, despite this, Landis claims his innocence promising to explain to the world why this is not a doping case, but a natural occurrence. Synthetic is not natural, whatever. And that the testosterone in his body was natural and produced by his own organisms. The variety of explanations offered up by Landis provided fodder for many skeptical columns by sports journalists and inspiration for comedians such as David Letterman, who presented the top 10 Floyd Landis excuses on his TV show. Several experts have refuted Landis's assertions. Landis has, at first, blamed consumption of alcohol for his unusual result, an approach that was wildly ridiculed. Uh, Professor, yeah, yeah. Chris- hold on. T- tell me how in the world whiskey is going to give you more testosterone. If that was the case, everybody would be guzzling whiskey before they go play a sport. Exactly. Well, I mean, I mean, boxers do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Damn free birds did it every night, brother. <laughs> well, they also also had some uh, uh, powdered courage too, uh, allegedly. Uh, they had that Macho Man madness going on. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, the cream of the crop, brother. Oh, to the top, yeah. No, um, Professor Christine uh, Ayoti director of Montreal's anti-doping laboratory said that in 25 years of experience of testing testosterone, such a huge increase in levels of testosterone cannot be uh, expected to come from any natural factors. David Black, a forensic toxicologist from Nashville-based Aegis Sciences, said there is not hundreds of plausible explanations. If the tests were so unreliable that there were hundreds of possible reasons there would be no point in performing the test. Landis later backtracked from some of the assertions saying the whiskey idea was not mine and the dehydration was a theory from the lawyers I hired in Spain to represent. This dumb fuck. I thought you cut out for a second. Well, I did too. I was like, damn. (laughs) Now, some t- you ever read something so stupid you don't even want to finish the sentence you just shut up? Like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, Fox News headlines. <laughs> Any news headlines? But anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, my God. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So this so not dude only are is you lying. basically an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So so basically, you're saying it was a whiskey thing. You're saying your 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 body produces synthetic testosterone. Um, a damn one, two, three, five, seventeen doctors have already said, nah, there's no way you can get this much testosterone from whiskey or blood transfusions or any of that bullshit. It's that whiskey dick, man. That whiskey dick. Yep. Just thumb it in there. Anyway. Yeah. Smush it around. Yeah. <laughs> Is it in? Okay. Is it in? Are you there? You good? You good? You good? Yeah. yeah. Just, just, just don't move. Just don't move. <laughs> what are you doing? Shut up. <laughs> Count to ten. It's fine. Yeah. One Mississippi. Two Mississippi. All right. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> All right. Um. So the last one for this one. Um, I mean, it's a very popular one, even if you aren't around Damn. that, because I mean, I Hey! <laughs> Hold up. Fuck y'all doing? What? My kids are going ham in the hallway. What the fuck is wrong with them? They're your kids? That's true. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. So this one's a very famous one. I mean, they recently made a movie a few years ago, even about it. Um, um, this is the Tanya Harden and Nancy Kerrigan situation. Um, this is perhaps one of the more unethical, unsportsmanlike, and disgusting moments in sports history. Tanya Harden and Nancy Kerrigan were both great ice skaters, rival on the rink, evidently, but it never suspected. It was never suspected that they had less than full respect for each other's achievements. Um, yet in 1994, a man struck uh, Kerrigan with a metal pole, like right on her shin. Yeah, uh, it's actually her lower right thigh. Oh, really? Right above the knee? Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Man, fuck you. Just hit me in the shin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want no fucking contusion on my quad. Like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, but this was right before the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, um, which also would have led them to the Olympics, I believe. Yes. Um, like the qualification for it. Um, the video, There is a video for it, and it was pretty dreadful. Uh, Nancy Kerrigan's like crying, holding her leg, asking why over and over again, because she's in a lot of pain. And obviously, she was probably the shoe in the wind. Um, one thing I never realized until I watched the movie was how much older Tanya Harden was over Nancy Kerrigan, though. Oh, yeah. Like, I, never knew. Uh, I mean, I was, it was two years old when this happened. I didn't know the history of it. What what, yeah. what movie? Tanya and Nancy, the Inside I, Story? I, Tanya. It's I, Tanya. It's got uh, a Margaret, uh, Mar- Margaret Roby playing Tanya Harden. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, she wasn't much older. Uh, Nancy Kerrigan was born October 13th, uh, 1969, and Tanya Harding was born November 12th, 1970, so... Almost a year. They were eleven months yeah. apart. Yeah, but I also think uh, it also shows that Tanya started a little. I think a little later than when Nancy would have started training. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, obviously, I know it's a movie and they changed some things here and there, but like the parts that are actual, like factual parts of it, actually, is pretty cool to like learn this stuff. Because I mean, I knew I, I've always known about it. Um, I just never looked into it. And I mean, the movie obviously brought an interest because I mean, who doesn't like sports scandals? 
<laughs> right? Right. Um, but it wasn't suspected at all at first that um, Tonya Harden had anything to do with the attack, and she performed in championships. Yet, amid suspicion, she came out and declared that Harden, uh, her now ex-husband, and her bodyguard had conspired together and hired the man to break her leg. And at first, Harden was banned from skating, but after trying to sue them, they accepted her back. In the following Olympics, Harden placed eight as the rehabilitated uh, Kerrigan secured a silver medal, which was a feel-good moment in sport. So, also in that movie, they actually have the interrogation tapes of that so-called bodyguard dude. Um, and the dude was beyond delusional. He said he was a CIA operative. Oh, yeah. Um, ex-militia like crazy stuff like that like the dude the bodyguard's the actual one that attacked her and the weird thing is like tanya harden's husband and bodyguard were talking about it and the bodyguard took the conversation of oh we've got to find a way to beat uh nancy kerrigan as him being like oh you want me to take nancy kerrigan out what you're trying to tell like tell me so yeah, he's like right. trying to use like He's like, oh, I'm ex, I'm an undercover CIA agent, um, you know, so I can't be arrested for it. Like, it, he was insane. It was yeah. so weird to like actually see the footage for that. But then again, I thought about it like it's probably it's been over twenty years, so they can actually use that kind of evidence. Yeah, they can. Yeah. Let's see. The '92 Winter Olympics was in. Uh, nah, I was about to say Salt Lake, but France. that was '96. Was it was France? It was in Albert. It was in the Albert of Vern- uh Albertville, France, because it's pronounced the the, uh, the, it's the, the, ET, the, the ETR <laughs> thing. Motherfucker, I'm trying to teach you people. Hush. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what it was. It was the uh, the '92 Winter Olympics, and they got snowboarding now. What you mean? Anyway, uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, she uh, did. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm saying, I mean, she did. Um, you know, have a very good, you know, you know, she was able to win, you know, uh, uh, the silver medal and everything like that. So she was able to to come back uh, from this horrible injury. Um, I definitely think had the injury Nancy, not you're happened. Talking about Nancy Kerrigan. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that um, had this incident not occurred, there was a, there's a good possibility she could have won gold. Um, but for her to fight back through it, you know, and even to get to silver, I mean, some people, <laughs> some people would probably get hit and be like, fuck it, I'm done. But she was like, nah, nah, fuck this bitch. I'm going to keep going, you know? Um, well, yeah, I mean, at the 94 winter Olympics, Kerrigan won the silver and Harding finished eighth. Eighth. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then March, uh, March 16th, 94, Tanya Harding actually accepted a plea bargain in which she pleaded guilty cons- to conspiracy to hinder prosecution as a result of her involvement in the aftermath of the assault, the United States Figure Skating Association banned her for life. Yep. Uh, and then what I didn't know until today was that from 2003 to 2004, Tanya Harding actually competed as a professional boxer. Yeah, she got dust yeah. on that was that celebrity boxing thing, like, or was it a real boxing thing? No, I think she was actually. Boxing. I think she actually tried. Uh, okay, yeah. professional. Okay, she was a five hundred fighter. Well, no, it was it was in a celebrity boxing event. No, no, no. I see what uh, you're saying. I mean, she in two thousand two, 
Uh, and then February 23rd, she made her official women's pro debut, losing a four-round split decision uh, against Samantha Browning on the undercard of Mike Tyson versus Clifford Etney. Yeah. Yeah, she was a 500 fighter. She had six fights, three wins, three losses. So, you know, she was an orthodox featherweight. Okay, there you yep. go. Her nickname was Bad Girl, Tanya the Bad Girl Harding. Okay. Okay. Yeah, she, uh, her three wins were by unanimous decision. Uh, hmm. Two of her wins she lost by, or two of her losses she lost by TKO. Yep. One in the first and one in the third. Yep. All right. So uh, I think that does it for us tonight. For this yeah. episode, at least. <laughs> yes. This episode. Uh, we have uh, three more episodes to go. That's only five of 20. Come back uh, next week for six through 10 uh should be pretty we oh we got a couple of doozies for the next uh uh some you guys may know some you guys may don't know um but uh looking forward to them um that being said again thank you guys for tuning into this episode of something about sports anything you guys want to say before we bounce out here tonight as always check out movementradio.us that is your one-stop shop for all things movement radio anything from you raj um, not that I can think of. I mean, I've got some ideas that I've got to flesh out for some more content and possibly get some more videos up. So I've been slacking on that. Yes, indeed. Um, well, shout out to all of our sponsors for sponsoring the uh, podcast. Shout out to Sean Thompson at Thompson Personal Training, Jerry and Jennifer over at the Chronic Conversations podcast, Andrew and Sean at the Warrior Workout Network, Ivan Montanez, twitch.tv slash Unleashed Demon our good buddies from these ninjas podcast and uh sean miller was should i watch that Twenty three thousand downloads thank you guys so much for getting us to that number uh, uh and 23,500 23,500 excuse me uh so we're close to twenty four thousand. I, I got a feeling we can get 20 we can get we can get to twenty five thousand by the start of the summer can't we i think i think i think we'll get twenty four thousand by the end of the month uh, no it's a 25 by the by the end of the uh, beginning of summer yeah, we can I'm get twenty five. We can get to twenty five, no problem. I mean, the goal is to get to what thirty by the end of the year. I mean, the goal is just to keep people listening. But yes, thirty by yeah. the end of the year, hopefully. Yeah, you got to set small goals to you know. Yeah, you know, we all got the goal. <laughs> we we all we all got the big picture in our head, but you know. That being said, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, come back next week with more uh, something about sports. Uh, sports scandals. We got uh, six through ten next week, and uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Look forward to look forward to uh, you guys coming back next week for some more. And until then, we love you guys. Chip, let's hit him with the outro. Please do not leave without leaving a like, comment, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Check out the YouTube channel. Subscribe. Click that bell to get notified of our latest videos. And once again, check out movementradio.us. I am Chip Hazard. I am Talon Williams. I'm Roger Sierra. And this is Movement Radio. God's plan.